I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I've interviewed a range of people on this channel from Peter Hitchens to John McDonnell to Sean Fay to Paloma Faith, all sorts of just a random eclectic range of people. And now I'm interviewing my mother. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Well, sorry to be such a letdown after all these famous people. <laughs> no, I think we've scaled new heights. Um, <laughs> as long uh, as we don't fall off them, we'll be fine. Well, it's great now because I can get get my revenge for accumulated adolescent grievances. Well, I could too. Oh, let's not okay. go there. I've got more to lose. I've got I've got more to lose in this mutually assured destruction. I've just realised. Um, so what I was going to do, um, just to explain. So basically, some people be like, "Oh my god, interviewing your mother on your channel, very nepotistic. What are you doing there then?" And um, firstly, I thought as a nice one-off, quite interesting in of itself. But more importantly, my mum has a very interesting book out, and I did want to do something on this whole there it is put it there we go living with robots where every anxious human needs to know i did want to do something on this and actually various people like we should interview your mom about her new book for start giving you're gonna talk about robotics because my mom is a professor in all of that aren't you i am yes i've been working in it for quite a long time actually i started doing robotics back in what 1999 or so so that's quite a long time doing robotics. Oh, no, I, I was doing robotics earlier than that. I've been doing robotics for, well, since the early 90s. So, yeah, I'm a, a veteran of robotism, I suppose, by now. Including doing computing stuff back in, because for those who don't know, I was born in Sheffield, um, and my mum taught it what is now Sheffield Hallam, but was then Sheffield Polytechnic. Um, and you did computing stuff in the 70s when it was these big, silly machines rather than this laptop that I was staring at. Oh, yeah. I first started working for, for what was then a British computer company when we actually had one, ICL. Um, and the computers were large wardrobe-sized things that took up the size of an average front room and had a, less power than you got in your phone, a lot less power than you got in your phone. So, yes, I remember punch cards. I remember dropping them on the floor, which was uh, one of those disastrous things because then you had to try and get them back in the right order again. I even remember paper tape, which you had to feed into machines. Yeah, all, all those old technologies that people think, uh, you know, dinosaur stuff. Yeah, I'm a dinosaur. I've been around. I've seen it all. It's funny now because those massive um, computer machines now, if they were to exist now, probably still wouldn't contain all the angry tweets about me on Twitter. So <laughs> in terms of, uh, let's just talk about this because I'm quite interested in robots. This is what I'm interested in. So I, a lot of people think about robots and they think basically they'll probably take over the world maybe at some point. They've watched lots of, uh, you know, 
films, maybe like AI as well, where they just end up being sentient creatures like humans or, or more advanced than human beings. And obviously there's a lot of often discomfort. So for example, Terminator series, you get robots which basically defeat humans in, in conflict. And I think there's this weird, I think it's a guilty thing. I think it's because humans have conquered the planet and destroyed so many species we have this terror of what what if something did that to us as well yeah and i think back a long time. frankenstein's monster was another i mean that goes back a long time doesn't it oh it goes back at least as far as that i mean samuel butler in erewhon so that's back in the 1840s um says oh the machines will take over it's bound to happen i think what you've got is partly the long memory of the of the, well, it's a trauma that was caused by the Industrial Revolution when technology tore people's lives apart, uh, destroyed stable occupations that had been going on for hundreds of years, destroyed the rural economy, forced people into cities where they went down with disease um, and lived in the most appalling overcrowded conditions. So, yeah, technology, certainly in, in the West, in some ways, is one of those things that that people have a, a deep rooted fear of. Not just Frankenstein, yeah. And there's some evidence for it. You know, did did the technology improve the lives of the handloom weavers who ended up their children largely working in the weaving factories? It didn't. Yeah, it made their lives an absolute misery. So there's rationale in it. It isn't just a, an irrational fear, but you've got to combine that with people's long fascination. And that goes back to the ancient Greeks, incidentally, of building things that look like people. Uh, moving statues was the Greek thing, okay? But it goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Uh, moving statues were a bit like robots. Um, one of the stories we start off with in the book, which i I say this is a kind of sex robot because it was. So the old oh, already onto sex robots with my mum. Great, carry yeah, on. Sex already. robots. Yeah. So um, the story of uh, Galatea. It was a sculpted statue, and its sculptor fell in love with her. By fell in love, I think we mean uh, it was bowled over in lust. Actually, from if you read the story. And so much wanted her to be alive. He prayed to the gods and Aphrodite infused a divine spark. And this poor bloody statue came to life and presumably had a life of misery under his thumb uh, thereafter. Uh, that's a very old story. OK, so these ideas aren't new ideas. And I think we have to accept that there's a whole factor of stuff which pours into this idea that robots are a threat. The job thing, clearly, as I said, the Industrial Revolution. The other thing is the human thing. Humans are terrible to other humans. We enslave people. Yeah, we other them. We say they're not properly human. Yeah, it's only therefore obvious that robots might do that to us if they were a species, mm. which they're not. Incidentally, so do, you think it, do you think a lot of it is projection? Which is humans as a species deep down know we we're capable of horrible, horrible things, which we've committed throughout history the Holocaust being a very extreme example of the systematic industrialized murder of an entire people, oh. colonialism, uh, what the British did from Ireland to India. Oh. Like deep down, we know it deep down that we do, we've yeah. done and continue to do terrible things. So is that what it is? Projection of imagine an entirely different kind of creature did that to us, which we create. Yes, I, th I think it is. In some sense, this is all about us. 
It's not about robots. It's about us as humans and what humans are capable of. So that's why it's popular, I think. I think there's some other reasons as well. So there's a general issue of technophobia, um, which, as I said, is partly down to the Industrial Revolution. But uh, we've also got a long tradition, again, that goes back to the Greeks, of this idea that if you do too much, you commit hubris, you challenge the gods, and the gods will whack you back with nemesis. And this then goes into the medieval period, because the church, in some sense, is a Greek version of Judaism. Um, It goes into the period of the medieval church, where the sin of pride was applied to almost the whole of science. So poor old Galileo, for instance, suffered house arrest for astronomical science, uh, for challenging the idea that the Earth was the centre of the universe and the sun went round it. So this idea that if you produce too much technology or something that's kind of human-like, you'll get zapped by a god, I think goes back even further. And the interesting thing is the Japanese don't have that. Mm-hmm. It's very much a Western European thing, this idea that the technology is going to rise up and do something terrible to us. Um, in Japan, very humanoid robots are not viewed in any way as a threat. And the, this idea that the robots will destroy humanity just doesn't seem to exist. Before I ask you about jobs, because I'm interested in what's going to happen with jobs, tell me just uh, what actually are robots in the here and now? Because, again, I do think lots of people think robot and they think, uh, 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 you know, and they think humanoid as well, incidentally. When I was growing up, <laughs> some of the, you know, my friends, people I grew up with uh, who had a very different background than my own, um, they, they thought maybe I was a robot that you maybe had created. That was an experiment. <laughs> maybe okay. I am. That would have been really clever. I'm, I'm in for my Nobel Prize in that case because you're a lot oh, more functional than any robot anyone's ever come across. I, I must think say. it would ex- it'd explain a lot. Um, <laughs> what actually are robots in the here and now? What do they do? Okay, well, robots are essentially metal boxes with computers in them. Okay, that's that's putting it fairly crudely, but it's true. They're metal boxes with mechanisms. They have gears and motors. They're run on by electricity. They have software. They have a computer in them. Um, They have a certain amount of sensing apparatus. They might have cameras and various other things which are not like human sensors, like laser sensors, which tell you how far away things are. Um, And they have the ability to move around. So that's what a robot is. As for what it's capable of, I'm afraid an awful lot less than people think. Do you know there has never been a robot, a real robot, in a film? Not a real robot. Really? Really. So you're saying in AI that child was actually an actor? <laughs> well, all right. The history of robots in film. Initially, you stick a person in there. Take the Tin Man in Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could take Star Wars as well. So mm-hmm. um, T-3PO is the descendant of the tin man in the wizard of oz so that's generation one put a human in there r2d2 had a very small human of a very small actor um automating it all the daleks had people in them automating them yeah so that's generation one generation two is when you get these suits you can put on which will generate movement and pass it to motors and things so it's called a motion capture suit And in this variant, this is um, Short Circuit has one of those, the robot in the film Short Circuit in the 80s. Um, The person in the suit does the movement and the motors on the robot copy the movement. Mm -hmm. Actually, in Short Circuit, for close-ups, they used it like a puppet. They attached rods to it 
out of camera frame and, and pushed the bits around for, for close-up action. Generation three, what we've got now, you put a person in a suit, does all the action, like Gollum, and then you put a piece of graphics on top of them in the film. So there's no real machine there at all. So you can make the robot do practically anything. You can have a robot work at all in the real world. So there's never been an autonomous robot in a film. And the reason is they don't have the capability. They break down far too often or fall over if they walk. They need technical support every second, even for a short camera take. So nobody in their right mind in a film would use an actual robot. In terms of jobs, this is what I think is interesting, because as we've noted, there is a lot of insecurity, which goes back to the Industrial Revolution. So you had the Luddites, who get a very bad press because people just portray them as kind of backward people who were just trying to swim against the inevitable onward tide of reason and science, when actually for people whose very precarious and difficult lives were under, under threat, it was understandable people responded in the way they did. But what's interesting about historically is new technology often does destroy jobs, but it, yeah. it creates generally speaking, more jobs in its place. So the personal computer is a very good example of that. The personal computer did make lots of existing jobs superfluous. But the personal computer also created lots of jobs. It made lots of jobs possible more than the jobs that were actually destroyed. And some now think that technological advance will actually change so that more jobs will be destroyed than created by artificial intelligence and by robots. Would you, and, and not just as was before, often more manual jobs. Uh, and we can see that the service sector, supermarket checkouts and so on being automated, but in, increasingly middle-class professional jobs, accountancy, for example. I mean, could robots, et cetera, couldn't they just basically end up taking, destroying jobs? And, and not creating enough jobs in, in their place. Look, the first thing to be clear about is that we're not talking about robots there. We're oh, right. Oh, so just got off topic. No, no, you're, because it's a very common misconception. You're doing the same thing as most people do. So, you know, it's a valuable point because it allows me to point out that these are not robots. This is the internet and this is software running on the internet. This is the current wave of automation that's going on. So you're right, robots are part of a wave of automation, but they're not the biggest current wave of automation. So the internet is doing information automation um, because it can communicate between different geographical locations. It can hold data from distributed places. And it allows us to do some of the jobs that middle people did, like booking travel, for instance, Mm -hmm. um, insurance quotes, Um, Quite a lot of service applications, which previously employed people, can now be done much quicker on the Internet. Um, So, yes, that wave of automation is underway. Uh, The jobs that are being impacted are a branch of clerical jobs at the moment, Um, much as, well, typing pools. I remember typing pools. I'm old enough for that, where you had to write out what you did in longhand. Your dad used to do this when he worked for Sheffield Council. He'd write out everything in longhand. And he'd send it off to the typing pool and the typing pool would come back with a typed copy, which was often wrong. And then you had to correct it and send it back to them. And there were tip X and various other techniques for dealing with errors in typing. Yeah. 
computing got rid of that because you had word processors. It also altered people's working lives. So now professional people do their own typing. Not very well in my case. Okay. But this doesn't matter because it's quick. I don't have to send it to someone else. and I can alter it as many times as I want, which wasn't easy when you were using a typing pool. Those typists have vanished. In the university setting, the people who were typists became admin workers. And let me tell you, everyone in the university will tell you that it hasn't stopped the growth in admin workers in universities. Enormous numbers of admin workers. What a lot of them are doing is servicing the IT applications which have been brought in to automate all the processes. I don't think it's made their life better, actually, because, you know, they've got a barrier of technology. It's more and more difficult for personal contact in large organisations because it's mediated through loads of of internet-based applications. So it has changed everyone's working lives. That isn't really getting rid of people's jobs. Now, it's true that some middle-class professional jobs are going to be impacted, but I don't think they're going to be removed because wherever judgment is involved, mm. you have to have people. You cannot make judgments on a computer that are at all sensible. The problem you've got is that in order to make money, big corporations dumb down a lot of this stuff and try and remove the judgment for it from it. And then they're essentially downgrading the service quite substantially. So it's more a problem of profit, as usual, than it is of technology. Yeah? In terms of... Because you're quite cocky about the fact that robots are not going to take over the world. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, and, you know, this could be one of those, who knows, video clips, hubristic, where the professor goes, there is no risk of this happening. And then medical arm comes in. No, ne- or next scene, the post-apocalyptic <laughs> wasteland of 2041 is the robots have destroyed humanity. Why is it not possible, in your view, that robots could ever become sentient that they could become you know super like a superhuman basically so they could have all these capacities that go beyond the biological limits of human existence in a common form because you can mend, amend humans but that's a separate issue but why can't why couldn't that just happen why couldn't you just end up with a new sentient robot race and because of their superiority over our human functions, they could be more intelligent. They'd have all these uh, gadget things. Um, you can tell I'm not a robot specialist. But why couldn't it? Why couldn't that happen? Why couldn't we be facing robot Armageddon? Eh? Eh? Okay. Well, well, scientists will always say never is a big word, okay? Yeah. Nobody in science likes to say never about anything, let me tell you because uh, there is more in the world than we understand or can predict. So I'm not going to say never. I am going to say I don't see any path towards it, that there is no evidence for any path towards it. And certainly in the foreseeable future, we'll be lucky if robots find a few small useful niches, never mind taking over the world. Okay, so the sentience thing. Nobody knows what sentience is. It seems to be a property of living things. Quite small creatures have aspects of sentience. There's a sort of range of sentience. I I don't hold with this idea that humans have got it and no other animals have. There's a spectrum of sentience. Even quite small, simple creatures are actually quite clever in their way. My my cats, which are Kieran Rickman, which are zonked out on on the paper. Yeah. Yeah. They are sentient. 
Yeah, they're sentient. Their sentience is not as complicated as human sentience. Especially men. <laughs> not, even not gonna win a Nobel Prize, that one. Even slugs, okay. I, I keep on about slugs quite often. Slugs are more intelligent than most robots, actually. They're nice squidgy little things, which as when we lived in Stockport would come up our waste pipe into the kitchen and eat the plants on the windowsill. We would leave um, bowls of cheap lager in the and garden. They drown themselves in and expire. Yes, they weren't that intelligent. They drown okay. themselves. So the thing is, we don't know what sentience actually is. For an engineer, okay, in order to engineer something, you have to have some idea how to build it. A robot, as I've said, is a metal box with a computer in it. It has some mm. machinery bits that you can manipulate. You can turn the motors, okay? You can take data from cameras and from other sensors and try and decide how to move the motors. In the end, robot robots are all about moving motors. That's how robots work. Now, I don't know if you've ever – you probably have not, not being a, an engineer – Uh, You've probably never tried to write a program that moves the motors on a robot. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think maybe at school, I've got this you might weird... Have yeah, you might have done Logo. I remember there's some weird programming language called Logo, and yeah. it was something to do with giving instructions to... A turtle. A turtle. Round creature which would run around, would have a pencil on it. You could make pictures with it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you tried to produce the Mona Lisa with a turtle, you might have found it was quite difficult. Okay. So programming a robot is quite difficult. And I have to say that AI in this scenario plays much the same role as the divine breath of Aphrodite did in the story about the statue and the mm-hmm. same role as electricity does in Frankenstein's monster. It's that mm-hmm. something that we don't understand, which suddenly makes all the difference between being dead and being alive. Okay. AI is just another version of this story. Nobody who works in AI is going to tell you that AI is like that. Mm-hmm. It's computer programs that do certain limited things, which have some resemblance to a few of the things that humans can do. But they're not anything like humans. They have no semantics. They have no meaning. Mm -hmm. So let me give you an example. Machine learning. Whoa, could a robot learn to be human? 
Okay, machine learning example. Somebody produced a machine learning system which brilliantly could distinguish between dogs and wolves in pictures. This is harder than you think because they look fairly similar. Eventually, someone discovered that what the program had done was to allocate wolf to all the pictures with snow in them mm -hmm. and dog to the others. This worked very well because their database had wolves in snowy landscapes. Nobody had realised this for quite a long time. So what it had done was to find some patterns. Didn't know what the patterns meant or whether they were significant. They weren't. You could have a wolf in a landscape that was not snowy. You could have a dog in a, in a wood that was snowy. A human knows this. A human knows that snow is not the important thing in those pictures. But an AI program is looking for patterns. It doesn't know that. It doesn't know the meaning of anything. It doesn't know what snow is. It doesn't know what wolves are. It doesn't know what dogs are or trees or forests or any of that. It's just looking for pixels and patterns. That is not what we mean by intelligence at all. So what you're getting is a system that can classify things reasonably well and is very useful, for instance, in looking at mammograms and detecting possible signs of cancer, which is a job that drives technicians crazy because there are lots of pictures. Yeah. So it's good at that. It doesn't know about cancer. It's been programmed to pick up patterns which humans then interpret. So all of these systems are intelligent because our intelligence is involved in them, not because they are intelligent. And that's the difference between AI and humans. We have meaning. We know what things mean. None of these systems know what anything means. So you, get a robot, you get a robot which can navigate, okay, but mm -hmm. it doesn't know what it's navigating in or for. Keep looking at my notes because I'm out of depth. Um before we talk about what kind of for good, where robots could be deployed for, 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 for the benefit of humanity, let's talk about evil. Yeah. Um, now, in the docudrama, the Terminator series, what famously happened, of course, is human civilization was wiped out in a nuclear apocalypse caused by Skynet. Now, okay, that's probably a little bit far-fetched, but because it was a sentient thing, so we've already established that, but what about other autonomous weapons? What about that? We should be worried, surely, that we could have robots involved in weaponry in bad ways. That is not the most scientific sentence ever used, but you get the gist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's true. Now, that is something I do worry about, and a lot of computer and robotic people do worry about it. And there's an organisation currently uh, running, which is campaigning against autonomous weapons, precisely because it's so attractive to the military. What are they? Tell me, what is an autonomous weapon? An autonomous weapon is one which can choose its own target, basically. So we currently have semi-autonomous weapons. A cruise missile is a robot. People don't mm -hmm. think of it as a robot, but it can navigate semi-autonomously. You set it off, you give it a destination, it will navigate semi-autonomously until it gets to the destination. You've picked the destination, so when it drops itself and blows up everyone there, that's because you have ordered it to do so at that location. Humans can get this wrong. It might have been a bomb shelter, for instance, as notoriously in the Iraq war. But a human is responsible for that decision. If you then say to a drone, here's the face of a person we don't like, fly around the city until you see that person and kill them, then that autonomous drone is picking its own target. What could possibly go wrong? Well, but it's very tempting to the military. 
At the moment, even drones are operated by humans and they have to pick the target and they have to authorise the kill. Yes, they get it wrong. They block wedding parties. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, a human is still responsible for that decision and can be held accountable. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine a city in which drones are flying around with fallible, incidentally, facial recognition software, mm-hmm. and they recognise somebody and they blow them up? That's perfectly possible. We could do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Not a good idea, though. That's what the campaign is about. It's a very bad idea. In terms of what I'm what I'm interested in is what, how they could be deployed for good. If we were to create a more just and equal society, which would be nice, how could robots do things which are beneficial for social justice, for example, and just making them or making people's lives better? What are the kind of things down the pipeline that you think is viable? Well, there are things that are viable now which are not done for cost reasons. So robots are typically deployed in factories because people have a lot of money in factories. Um, you get Amazon deploying robots to cart stuff around, which is not a bad idea because their workers were being worn out by humping stuff around. They've got money. They can do it. There are a lot of health applications, but the health industry doesn't really have the money to invest in this and for us to actually deploy robots where they could help. So, for instance, um, when your grandfather had dementia, like many elderly people at home, he had a trolley. This is a thing with two levers at the top, which you lean on so you can use it to support yourself as you walk. Mm -hmm. A couple of trays, you wheel yourself into the kitchen, you can make yourself a hot drink, you can put it on the trolley, and then you can wheel yourself back again, okay? Mm -hmm. Thus getting the drink to where you can sit down without spilling it or falling over. You could add robot capabilities to a trolley. We could do that now. You could have a more intelligent trolley which would help to navigate you to the right place, mm-hmm. which would avoid obstacles, might even have a facility for reminding you to take your medicines, yeah, or reminding you that people are coming to visit, or the screen that you talk to your kids on and automatically operated. You can think of lots of things. It just isn't the money for that. The same is true with intelligent wheelchairs, incidentally. There's mm-hmm. lots of intelligence that can be put in a wheelchair that would help people, but it makes them expensive. They're not mass-produced. Yeah. Nobody's going to pay for them. It's the same with a lot of other health applications. It's even true for prosthesis. Mm -hmm. So if you apply robotic technology to artificial limbs, which is being done, you get much more functional limbs than the ones most people get. Nearly all people with prosthesis give up using them after a year, certainly with leg prosthesis, because they're uncomfortable and they're not very functional. And the same is true with arms. We can now produce better versions it's the cost, mm-hmm. literally the cost that stops these being deployed everywhere. So we can already do lots of things that we don't do because nobody's going to make enough money out of it. What are the interesting things am I missing about robots here? There's lo- I mean, that's, that's very interesting. Everything was interesting. Well, don't I think... Ground, don't I ground think, me. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm saying is... Go on, sorry. I think the things people miss are the limitations. So one thing that nobody ever talks about in relation to robots is batteries. Oh, yeah. So people say, oh, robots will take over the world. And my reply would be, yeah, if they can do it in about a couple of hours with no stairs. The Daleks. Yeah, the Daleks. There's a cartoon showing Daleks at the bottom of a flight of stairs. And then someone says, oh, yeah, but in Doctor Who, the Daleks now can lift off up the stairs. 
And I would go, yeah, they can. And that will cut their battery down to about 20 minutes, if you're lucky, because of the amount of effort involved. But aren't batteries getting more and more, compl- you know, we're getting better batteries, so they we could get really, really good batteries? We are getting better batteries, but as we can see from electric cars, we have a problem with the lithium to be mined to put in them. So there are fundamental limits on making batteries. And not only this, there's what I call a, a power to weight ratio. So we run on chemical power. We eat stuff. It gets burned up in our bodies. The stuff doesn't weigh that much, but it gives us a lot of energy. Comparatively, batteries are very heavy for the amount of energy you get out of them. So you've got to cart them around. And that takes energy. Now, in a car, that's not so bad. It's running on wheels. It's on a nice, smooth road. It doesn't have to do anything very complicated. In a robot, it's much smaller. So it gets a smaller battery with much more limited power. And if you make it bigger, it's still got to cart it around. Just and it's covering it. to move around in areas that are not nice, smooth roads as well. Cover, so cover, them with so, cover them with solar panels. Solar panels don't provide enough energy fast enough to charge things up at that speed. So if you think of um, planetary rovers, which in fact do do this, they use solar power, they have to charge themselves for hours and hours just in order to support their communications, never mind moving around. And they move around very slowly as a result. So the battery thing is actually quite a profound limitation on what robots can do and is going to be a profound limitation for quite a long time, in my view. And the other thing is that robots are not very mobile. So you don't see walking robots anywhere other than in labs. And the reason for this is that they're unstable. When you're walking, you're falling. Every time you take a step, as we say in science, your center of gravity goes outside your base of support, which means you're falling. You fall onto your foot and then you move your next foot forward and so on. So you're falling all the time you're walking. It's controlled falling. Robots don't do this very well. We have very complicated systems for not falling over all the time. A lot of them are to do with very complicated feet, which are full of muscles, which feel the ground, which rebound off it. You break your toes, you can't walk properly. There's a very complicated biological mechanism in your foot for walking. And we have also balance channels in our ears, which are linked down to our movement and to what we feel of the ground beneath us. None of that can be replicated in robots at the moment. So they tend to fall over. You don't want a robot falling over on somebody. It's heavy and they do them a lot of damage. So that's why you don't see robots walking around the streets, okay? You see robots on wheels and wheels are inherently limited. As I said, don't put any stairs in your robots take over the world because they ain't going to cope. But you kind of think in 100, I mean, 100 years ago, we didn't have planes or car. Did we have cars? Oh, we did have cars. We had basic planes. I've just remembered that was a stupid thing I just said. It's now 2021. 100 years ago, we did have planes. But we had very, I mean, you know, look at planes 100 years ago and cars. Very basic. No one would have expected the internet. No, No one expects the Spanish English. No one expects the internet. No, but I mean, te- technology does come in leaps and bounds that we don't find that we didn't predict. But admittedly, if you look at things like Star Trek, we are nowhere near one cause for for any of that. So I suppose it's a complicated mix. But we could end up, you know, what what are robots going to look like in a hundred years? Way more advanced than the ones we got now. Well, you'd like to hope so. But let me let me give you an example: Robo football. 
Okay, so back in I think the 90, late 1990s, a group of professors got together and said, let's have a, an application domain that will really challenge people, that will be fun as well, and will help us to develop robotics by having fun. So they set up a robo-football league. The original idea of the robo-football league was to have legged robots that would be able to play a human team by 2050. Mm-hmm. About 2021, we're nearly halfway there. So far, a legged robot has trouble stood in front of a goal, kicking a ball towards it, never mind beating the goalkeeper. That's how far we've got in just over 20 years, because it's difficult. It's very difficult. We're not going to have a robot football team by 2050. I think I can guarantee that. Not on legs. There's a robo league, tiny little robots zapping around on wheels. Great fun, but nothing like human football. Okay, more like table football. So, yes, technology advances, but people underestimate how difficult the problems are in robotics. This is in the physical world. It's not like the Internet. It's not like graphics. You actually have to deal with rust, connections, physics, and a world in which everyone's whizzing around in an uncontrolled fashion, which is why automatic cars have not got as far as people thought they would. Because the world is a lot more complicated than people appreciate. We, we deal with the world so well. We don't notice how complicated our lives are and what we're doing. Do robotics and you'll get an amazing appreciation of all living things and particularly humans. Yeah, they're wonderful things and we're nowhere near dealing with those problems. So I can't tell you where we'll be in 100 years. We might hit some amazing innovation that will suddenly transform robotics, but there's no sight of it. There's absolutely no sight of that just now. Let's have a little plug of your book again. Show the book. Oops, no, you need to put it back in the camera properly. You need to bring it. Okay, there we go. Living with robots, where every anxious human needs to know. Very good. It's a very, very snazzy cover. I'll certainly be getting a copy. I haven't actually got one yet. That's bad. <laughs> Shows we'll be getting one. Don't worry. I shall give you one. With a what signature. <laughs> oh, I'm not getting a signed copy. A signed people, copy, absolutely. I get ridiculed about my book books. People go, "Oh, a rare unsigned copy." Um, but it, it'll be. Uh, it, it. This is fascinating, and it's really great that we've been able to talk about robots and stuff with an esteemed expert, my mother. So I've learned a lot. Um, yeah, and also just just finally, I mean, it's, it's funny talking to you about this stuff because, um. I, because it's funny, because I today, because it's a day ending and why I was trending on Twitter, and I have all these uh, angry strangers yelling at what a terrible, evil, mm. awful person I am, and I just think it's quite funny. My mum has to read that. <laughs> well, well, I, I, I see this. You, you've heard of people shouting at the television. Yeah, well, yeah. come into my kitchen and you'll see me shouting at Twitter. You bastards, stop it. <laughs> Don't be so stupid. Don't be so horrible. But as you know, I'm an evil, evil man, as uh, all these random strangers have uh, have worked out. Um, but um, it's um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for, for talking to us about this. Um, oh, well, any, any opportunity to tell people about robots. I, I yeah, think it's, it's a fascinating field myself. It's, it's fascinating because I didn't get the... Uh, I've got, We've got. I've got two elder brothers, uh, as, as you know. I wasn't telling you that. You're aware of how many children you've got, uh, but they both do computing, including my eldest brother, um, who is a IT guy for CERN, the particle accelerator in Geneva, and my other brother, who is 
that does computing in East London. Um, but and it's funny that because actually growing up, originally I had the most science, I was the most science minded of any of them because uh, I wanted to be an astrophysicist. We were talking about this on TV today because um, uh, there's this new series, Brian Cox, The Universe, which is oh, yeah. good. Yeah, not, very, it's not very good. Not very good. Um, but, but um, and and but I did. Uh, but in the end, I just realised I'm not actually that good at maths. And if you're not very good at maths, you're not going to be a very good scientist, unfortunately. Which is why I ended up being yelled at on Twitter by um by a range of diverse people instead. Um, but uh, but. It's been so. It's great to get a lecture from my mom. Not a lecture. That wasn't sounds pejorative. A, a, an informative discussion with my mom about robots, which I have learned a lot about. So thank you, Professor Ruth Ayler. Well, thanks for the opportunity. As I said, I always value it. Cheers. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.